Hello and welcome to another episode of a Brothers Creed podcast where we talk about motivation, experiences, and exploring new experiences and everything the world has to offer. Uh, today on the episode, we're gonna have we're gonna talking with a good buddy of mine, Matt Kaler. He's uh, a Renaissance man. He's has a lot of hobbies. One of those hobbies is cryptocurrencies. Um, he's investing in them. He mines them. He mostly mines them. Uh, but he shares with us his experiences. He shares with us some of the wild tales of the uh, cryptocurrency market, and I share some of my experiences as well. And it's a it's a really good topic to, that we discuss for both beginners and people who already know about cryptocurrencies. So uh, it's a great episode. Let's go ahead and dive in. All right, let's do it. You can't climb the ladder of success with your hands in the pocket. We will not go quietly into the night. They tell me you're a man with true grit. I am the one who knocks. Don't ever tell me what I can't do, ever! That's how winning is done. All right. Hey, welcome, Matt. Thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate you taking the time to, to chat with us with us about your hobby. Thanks for having me. Matt is a good friend of mine. We go way back. Uh, he's kind of a renaissance man. He does a little bit of everything. <laughs> and so uh, we'll have to maybe have you back on to talk about your, your shooting experience, uh, your hunting experiences, and then some of your other talents that you have. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love that. But uh, today we're we're thankful that you come on to talk to us about some cryptocurrency stuff. It's it's kind of a wild time in cryptocurrency. Uh, you and I have known each other for quite a while, and we share investment things back and forth, and you know just tips and tricks and stuff. And uh, I remember back in what was that 2017? Now that the market was just going absolutely wild. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, that was so quick. First, let's. I know this is uh, your interview episode, but let's first start with a story about. Me from from my point of view, so I had probably invested maybe four grand uh, into uh, just a couple altcoins, and altcoins are alternative coins other than Bitcoin, and uh, it was just on fire, absolutely. Especially at that time, all the altcoins were on fire, and I my account went up to like forty five thousand dollars, and I was like riding high man i was like this is awesome i check it like the next day and he'd be like i just made 10 grand overnight and uh it was well it was immaterial because i hadn't realized any of those gains and then i know matt you were talking to me at the time you're like you should buy a rig and i was like yeah i should buy a rig and i bought like the frame for it but i but i was uh-huh. like i'm making way more much i'm making way more money with my money just like in these altcoins than i ever would mining yeah. and then like come January, mid-January, it all came crashing down and I barely pulled out with what I had put in. So well, that was better, my... Be, that's better than most people's <laughs> first uh, foray into cryptocurrency, I think. <laughs> yes, you're absolutely right. So, Matt, you've been in this game for a while. Uh, I didn't know you told me about Ethereum, which is one of the biggest cryptocurrencies a while back. How long ago was that? How long have you been investing in that? Um, well, I kind of, I haven't really invested much in terms of coming money out of my wallet. Yeah. Um, so I got started, Ethereum got introduced to me by a friend in the Navy who called me up. He knew I had some investment acumen and he works in it and he called me up and said, Hey, take a look at this Ethereum. I want you to look at it. It looks like kind of a, 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 
flourishing new technology, a new idea that the world hadn't seen yet. And so I looked at it and immediately was intrigued because I'd seen Bitcoin over the years be really volatile. And it's always been Bitcoin's always been pitched as kind of um, a currency. Yeah. Well, it is a currency, right? Yeah. Maybe a gold competitor or some some sort of uh, hard asset, even though it's digital, some sort of hard asset um, currency. Mm -hmm. And Ethereum's aim kind of took that blockchain framework that Bitcoin's built around and made a platform. So I'll, I'll talk about that more in a minute. But anyway, so he calls me up and says, hey, I'm thinking about spending three grand on this mining equipment to mine this coin. What do you think? And I asked him to build me one. <laughs> yeah. I said, yeah. I said, that looks really interesting. Can you build me one? And at the time I had I had zero experience with computers other than typing on a keyboard and plugging monitors <laughs> in and things of that nature. So he helped me out. And at the time there wasn't a bunch of resources on the internet about how to build these things. Yeah. Um, so we struggled for probably about six months to get one built and running. And then he shipped it to me and I ran it for several months. And so I was mining Ethereum, which means I was part of this decentralized network. So a lot of people have heard Bitcoin is a, a decentralized coin, right? And that's sort of the appeal yeah. um, to plenty of people. What that means is, is the server decentralized. So if you're Apple, right, all the data that's in the app store, and things like that. That's all in centralized servers that they control for good reason, right? But if something happens to their server or a couple of their servers, I'm sure they have redundancies now, yeah. but not everybody does. So that's one of the risks. If your server goes down, your presence online goes away, right? And yeah. so having the decentralized nature of these coins is what gives it its perceived safety we'll see future will tell whether it's real safety or not yes but um so you've got what makes it decentralized instead of having two servers one in california and one in new york per se whatever um there are hundreds thousands tens of thousands of little nodes small machines instead of a huge warehouse full of servers i've got a bitcoin node this is what they call the individual points on the mm -hmm. network. And so all of these nodes are verifying transactions, uh, facilitating transactions and doing the work of the network. And so for that work, you get paid. Right. And, and so, yeah. so yeah. Um, and, and that then, work, that work is called the work of doing that is called the blockchain, right? Cause it builds a block of a record of that ledger that's continually going, it builds that record throughout time. And that's what creates what they call the blockchain, right? Right, right. And so, so when a, a transactions um, requested online, say I want to transfer some, some Bitcoin or some Ethereum, um, my request is put out there and then many nodes need to go in and verify that. And once that, uh, that, 
validation has been reached, then it gets entered on the ledger and is forever there at the same time that the transaction is facilitated. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so I was interested in being part of the network. And at the point in time, Ethereum was worth $20 when I was looking at this and it's worth yeah. 1100 I it, plus. I thought it was 12 bucks, man. I, I thought when you I, told it, me it was it about was, 12 bucks. It was, it had just peaked up to 20 and the two, about two days after I bought all my mining equipment, it crashed to about 10 bucks. <laughs> there was some hack on the network yeah. and, um, but I had already bought all my computer equipment and I was, it was done. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, that was my very first, that was my very first experience in the crypto world is three days after I bought my computer equipment, it, there was a hack and it was crashed by 50%. Oh man. <laughs> you, you, so, got, you were bathed in, uh, the violence of that market. <laughs> for the yes. And I remember, um, so we got, we ended up getting it all set up and I got it here and mined for months and months and my machine actually went down and I didn't mine for several months. And at the time I was mining maybe a coin a day. Yeah. So several months. Which now is worth, which now is worth 12,000 bucks about. Right. Oh, well each coin's worth about 1200 bucks. 12, oh, 1200. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. 1200 bucks, but 60 coins. I mean, you do yeah. the math yeah. and we can talk about this at some point in the future. I mean, I think, you know, 10,000 plus $20,000 Ethereum is not out of the question. Yeah. Um, there's some things happening with Ethereum. And we should talk about the difference between Ethereum and Bitcoin before we get to that. But yeah, um, yeah I just, I saw the Ethereum network having utility. Mm -hmm. So the, the main difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum is, is Bitcoin's entire purpose is to be held as a coin yeah, and just to be held as an asset. It doesn't do anything just like gold. People compare it to gold all the time. It doesn't do anything, even though actually gold does, yeah, yeah. right? It's used in manufacturing, but yeah. I bet 90% of its price is probably just speculation. So <laughs> yeah. whereas Ethereum it, it was designed to host smart contracts oh, and which take the form of applications. But since Ethereum is a decentralized network, there are decentralized applications also known as dApps, mm -hmm. right? And so this platform gives coders and entrepreneurs an ability to go in and decide or design applications that do things in the real world that have properties that can't be replicated without this decentralized network. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. Can you give, maybe and, give us a simplified example of what, like a real world of example? Because I know Ethereum has a, the smart contract functionality mm -hmm. to it that Bitcoin does not. Can you maybe help us understand like what an example of a smart contract would be uh, yeah. with, with a currency? Yeah. So, uh, well, a real world example was, I think it was 2017, maybe 2016. Um, the UN was using the Ethereum network to deliver aid to Jordanian refugees. And they did it multiple times. And I don't know exactly the process that they did it, but the refugee received some sort of a code. And then they took that to a vendor. The vendor gave them goods and uh, currency. And 
when once the uh, recipient aid and the vendor both validated that they had received and given what they were supposed to receive and given, then this smart contract completes and the UN sends money to the, the marketplace owner yeah. for those goods and services. Like it might be, hey, here's $20 in your local currency and a bunch of food and water and maybe a handful of other things that you might need. And so the UN was able to deliver aid to refugees without having to set up tents and volunteers and fly people all over the place. Yeah, and also like w when they send that aid, a lot of times just the warlords get a hold of that money and the people never see it. And, and so yeah. I, I think that that's so powerful because it's like giving a dollar to somebody but with a condition. It's like you give a dollar to someone, a homeless guy and say, hey, here's a here's a dollar, but you can only use it to buy food, shelter, or clothing. You can't use it to sell drugs, you know, or, or right. buy drugs. That that would be right. such incredible. Or, or drink it away. Yeah, exactly. Can, I mean, there could be a world where it's a, you know, a, a charitable token, yeah. on the charity token. It's run on the Ethereum network, and you can give that to somebody in need. And if they take it to a location that has access to that, then they'll scan it and get their goods. Maybe it's a, worth a sandwich or something, Who you know, yeah, yeah. a meal. Um, and then they get their goods and then whoever the charitable organization is that sponsored the token or ticket um, immediately wires money to that entity. And we'll get into decentralized finance you can even hold those assets or and in the future, we're talking hypothetical to in the future, you can hold those that dollars, those dollar bills in sort of an escrow account. So that way the the owner of the shop already knows that you've put the money out there. So this smart contract, everybody everybody says what what the conditions are and puts forward um, you know, whatever they're gonna do and then it kind of self-completes and that's the appeal is is once things are set in motion um it kind of just does its thing yeah there's that trust which is so right. cr critical there especially when you're talking cross borders and also you have the ability to have some kind of say in how that's used so there are endless applications right there's endless people who have i mean of, i think we'll yeah. see um like term life insurance and things like that like it, it, uh, lots of different types of insurances, probably car insurances. Um, you know, there'll be, there'll be banking stuff. Decentralized finance is kind of um, this emerging marketplace on the Ethereum network called DeFi. Mm -hmm. um, and people are just starting to tiptoe into this world of financial applications on a decentralized network where there's a whole lot less red tape. Yeah. You know, yeah. Potentially and, for better and for worse. Yeah. Ahead. And I, I just think that, you know, as maybe the world, all of us are kind of becoming just more technologically advanced. I mean, it only makes sense that moving to something, it, we live in a digital world as is. I mean, all of our communication mm -hmm. is digital. Everything we do is digital. I mean, I don't, I don't even really carry cash anymore in my wallet it's just like a credit card and so i mean mm -hmm. if, if you just continue to progress from that you went from you know 
gold or coins to cash to credit cards to you know what's the next thing and it just kind of the progression makes sense now whether it takes you know years to get there or whether we're on that path right now uh i, I just think it's kind of a natural progression well i can speak to that because just this past week um u.s regulators said that u.s banks can um transfer stable coins like, so te- like what tether a sta- and some of the other ones right, that are exactly. tied to the dollar right and so a stable coin by kind of by definition is meant to be stable. So if you're a bank and I'm a bank and I need to send you a hundred million dollars, well, I can send it via the stable coin. And in my mind, what that allows is kind of to your point, Ethan, about paying digitally is so now if banks can transact in stable coins, there's already the technology to instantly swap a coin for another coin. So super simple example jack-in-the-box you go through the drive-through you've got uh they're already coming out with cryptocurrency credit cards and things like that it's yeah i've seen some right around the corner all i have to do is search crypto and then i get all these instagram ads for all these credit cards (laughs) (laughs) so you could you could have your crypto credit card and go to jack-in-the-box and pay for your hamburger with your crypto and at the point of sale jack-in-the-box can have a piece of um, software that instantly converts any crypto to a stable coin and then they bank it in their on their balance sheet why wouldn't they just convert it to usd they could but you generally have to convert it to probably a stable coin and then usd yeah but convert if if i'm kind of assuming the proliferation of stable coin use Yeah. yeah that's interesting so, so, I mean, there's a lot of the mechanics are already there and people yeah. say, oh, you can't spend it like it's, well, you, you already it's have right people, around the corner. Yeah. You already have people with what Apple Pay and stuff like that, where you can just Android mm-hmm. Pay, where you just tap your phone to the thing anyway, and all your credit cards are digital there anyway. Absolutely. And PayPal has crypto on there now. You can't pay yeah. with it on there, but you can buy it and sell it and keep it in your uh, account balance. It's just funny because when people talk about cryptocurrencies, that means so many different things from mm-hmm. you know, Bitcoin, which is more like a, a currency, or, or Tether, which is like one of those ones that's tied to the USD, uh, compared to Ethereum, which is almost more like a, uh, like, an, an, like a company or like an investment idea coin like that you would invest in that has actual utility beyond just being what people perceive the value to be. Right. Like just money in that's the bank. That's what I'm really... That's what I'm really interested in because, you know, I mean, even if Bitcoin completely takes over gold, like the world's not going to change because of that, right? Dollars are just going to flow from one to the other. Fortunes will be made and lost. But with an an Ethereum kind of platform, it has an opportunity, there's an opportunity there for some sort of technological leap. You know, like we saw the internet. Who, who in the world in 1998 would have ever guessed that Google and Facebook would be amongst the most valuable companies on the planet? And most of their revenue comes from advertising online. Mm-hmm. Al Gore probably did since he invented the internet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and You're so absolutely I think, right, yeah. I think these platforms, like you mentioned, that have utility that we can – use and create and innovate on who knows who knows what entrepreneurs are going to come up with 
Yeah. And, right. Yeah. And when you're on the the bleeding edge of a, of a new technology like that, sometimes you just don't know. Like, is it te- is it going to be Tesla or is it going to be Edison that comes out on top? You know, it's just kind of mm-hmm. so early in the game that you don't know. Well, and and like uh, like the internet, like yeah. Yahoo and Google. Yeah. Like Yahoo is dominant for so long. Yep. And you know, I mean, they're still around, but nowhere near their former glory. Yeah, and their news is awful. Oh, Yahoo News is terrible. <laughs> That's it. And then, and then you have Bing that tries to put itself in there, and I hate using Bing as yeah, a search engine. It's just like, and they tr- they tried to like coin. Oh, I binged it. Like if you listen to the, watch, ever watch the CW, they'll have people like, oh yeah, I binged it. Like <laughs> so awful. <No. laughs> I saw um, Bing's number one search for 2020 was Google. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, w- what's the difference between 2017 market boom and now? Because I mean, now Ethereum or, or Ethereum's at an all-time high, I think. And then also, uh, almost, almost, almost. I think it got up to 14 before, right? Yep, 14, 19, I think. And then I think Bitcoin, Bitcoin is, is at 30, way over yeah. 3,800. I mean, it was at like 40,000 or almost 40,000 last week. Yeah. So what's, I, it, what's the difference? Doubled. Uh, the, um, the difference I, think, I see is I that think, the altcoins, that's a major difference in the altcoins. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of the altcoins aren't popping this time, but what are your thoughts? Um, well, I'll start with why that why I think we had the crypto recession in 17, which yeah. will lead me to the answer. Um, the day that the um, Bitcoin future started trading on Wall Street, that day was the peak of the Bitcoin market. Right. I think the day that those futures started trading, Wall Street stepped in with their big pockets in a small market relatively to their assets and shorted Bitcoin, drove the yeah. price down. Yeah. And um, and and they didn't have to do so very heavy handedly because everybody that was in that space was an amateur trader, amateur investor. There's no there was no Wall Street players, no big high resource shops yeah. investing in that space. And everybody was so excited, as you know, about the rise in prices. Everybody was using leverage. Everybody was uh, overextended. And so when the future started driving the prices down, you had people panic selling, um, margin calls coming in, um, you know, all, tons of amateur traders had, you know, stop, losses, stop orders, limit stop. orders yeah. and things like that placed and they just got wiped out. And I think it didn't take a whole lot for to incite panic in the market. And so I think that was done with intention so that the big players could kind of evaluate how they wanted to be in the space, set up trade desks, get positions and now this bull market seems to be more uh whale driven so right now there's more addresses that hold a thousand bitcoin than there ever has been in the past Hmm. so it's not the little guys buying bitcoin because you can't mine a thousand bitcoin real quick you got to buy it yeah so people with money are buying bitcoin Hmm. right this isn't i don't think this is i'm sure there's some it's retail driven but I think it's really driven by um, people with money are seeing all the thing of money going on and the, the uncertainty in the world. 
And you know what? Maybe I'll put one or two percent of my hundred million dollars in that Bitcoin. Yeah. If I lose a million or two, it's not the end of the world, but it's something good to have that's unrelated to the economy. Because so, all yeah. your house and your everything else, your income, you know, your stocks, everything is related to the economy. Yeah. So like the flight to safe, flight to safety, basically, like folks run to gold, I th- folks run to. Bitcoin, I think it's so. a flight to non-correlation. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, it's not correlated with the market and the economy, so maybe it does better. Maybe it doesn't, right? Because yeah. there's so little data, but um, it's an opportunity to have an uncorrel- a truly uncorrelated asset. And talk about, you know, the perfect year for uh, for people being scared in the market or uncertainty out there. People are mm-hmm. just like, oh, I want something else that's outside of all the craziness that's going on in the U.S. right now. <laughs> Yep. And around the world. Yep. Yeah. That, and around the world. Yeah. Yeah. That was a question I was going to ask is, is how tied are they to, um, you know, I guess the political environment or, or what's going on? Is that also playing a part into the increase um, with within that? Or, you know, obviously you have the stock market as well. That's kind of been all over the place during all, all of this as well. So, yeah, I think absolutely. I think that uncertainty is driving people to look at alternative things in all sorts of all sorts of arenas of their life and profession and um you know their financial world you know we printed so much money it you know people yeah. it's going to have an effect they're, they're some way about inflation yeah yeah and Absolutely. i think it's a and it's i was looking at some uh, google search trend information and you were talking about bitcoin's dominance over altcoins yeah um, roughly, if you combine Ethereum and Bitcoin's total searches, um, Bitcoin roughly uh, accounts for about 90 per, nine out of 10 of every searches. So wow. that, that's what's driving it too, is just public opinion because the only thing that the only thing that drives to your point, because of the lack of utility in Bitcoin, the only thing that drives Bitcoin pricing, is adoption yeah. and that, i think that's a that's a very important term in the crypto space is adoption right because the value is really hard to to yeah. nail down or even estimate and so it's really about yeah. adopting i mean the more people that adopt bitcoin even if it's with ten dollars right yeah there's four billion people on the planet that have cell phones but no banking services yeah yes quarter of those decide to adopt bitcoin yeah even in a small bit that's you know a billion people 10 bucks each yeah speaking of adoption i know that uh, overstock they started taking cryptocurrencies and this was like probably a couple of years ago but they were starting to take bitcoin and there was like a, a bitcoin break off like a a split and bitcoin it was what was the other one called yeah, like bitcoin cash bitcoin cash which was like half of the value of bitcoin and so on the website people you know let's say bitcoin was worth let's say let's just say ten thousand dollars at the time bitcoin cash would been about five thousand and on the website people were able to send bitcoin cash to that wallet as and the website read it as if it was Bitcoin, and so basically yeah. you were doubling your money, with your doubling your purchasing power by sending in a lesser coin, and they didn't have the wherewithal to know the difference, and so like, yeah. 
I think someone eventually pointed it out, and they're like, "Yeah, we, we've we've lost tons of money off of this." <laughs> <laughs> and that's some of the growing pains with emerging technology. Right? <laughs> yes, indeed. Those those, those oops moments of <laughs> of not knowing. But yeah, that's uh that was interesting. You brought up that that Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash because there was a disagreement in the community, and part of the community went one way. And they broke the break the the uh, blockchain. It kind of forked. Let's call that a hard fork. Mm-hmm. And so, if you owned ten Bitcoin, you also got ten Bitcoin cash when it forked. And so, it's, it's free money. Hard forks can present free money opportunity. Well, same thing with Ethereum. You have what traditional Ethereum, and then you have classic, uh, just, uh, classic. Yeah, so, and then just Ethereum. Yep. yep. So. Um, I was gonna say so. So let's say uh, the layman term, uh, uh, layman person that has uh, maybe a little bit of experience in, I don't know. Let's say the stock market or, or, or dabbling here or there. Robinhood experience. Yeah, let's say Robinhood experience. Right. If they wanted to get into uh, explore more into cryptocurrencies and, and and what platforms would you suggest maybe using or staying clear of? Um, as far as I mean, I know you on Robinhood you can trade cryptocurrencies, but you know is that the best platform for it, or you know what what would your suggestion be? Um, I think so. There's a couple different schools of thought on it. The the hardcore crypto people they don't trust exchanges at all. It's kind of it's kind of uh, really frowned upon. Right. But they have and, good reason. I mean, how many times have an exchange yeah. been hacked, you know, and just yeah. all their money has been mm-hmm. stolen out of their account, which isn't safe in an, an exchange account. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. And they're and they're based in who knows what country. Cyprus. If anything <laughs> happens, you generally probably aren't going to have any recourse. Um, so I tell people to look at Coinbase.com um, for a couple reasons. If you have a ton of crypto and you're very long-term holder you should get like a hardware wallet and get it offline and get it in a like a fireproof redundant safe like a little safe inside of a bigger safe because if it gets destroyed it's gone um and then it's off exchange which takes off the risk of somebody taking it or losing it or stealing it but you exchange that risk for the risk of losing it somebody stealing it it catching fire so it's not riskless um but Coinbase.com is a U.S. company. They're about to go public in an IPO next year or this year. Um, and according to their website, 90% of the assets that they have are in cold storage on your behalf. So if they were to get hacked and somebody got 100% of the crypto on Coinbase, it would only be a t- on average probably a 10% loss per person. Um, cause they can't actually get to the coins and the fact that they're a U.S. company, if there's any fraud or malfeasance or anything like that, there's regulators and people to go knocking on doors. Maybe you get something back. Maybe you don't, but I think coinbase.com is probably the best place for retail investors to go. Um, and then, um, for information, Coindesk.com, uh, 99Bitcoin's YouTube page, and um, for like prices and information on coins, coincheckup.com, 
they've got different tabs that'll show you different markets that you can access it and some information about each coin. And they list all the coins by market cap. And so as you get further down that list, some have little or no information. One of the things I like about it is they've got some dial indicators that tell you uh, how much social presence they have, what their leadership team is like, um, how close to a working model or product they have, right? Is it, are they in the idea stage or do they have a working functioning coin, right? Big difference if you're thinking about buying it, right? Yeah. Because I think, I think what we saw in 2017 and that run up was these companies launching coin offerings. And if you actually looked at the white papers and read what, what they were doing with the funds that they were raising, almost all of it went to um, executive team development. Which just means what Lamborghinis if, and vacations and, and hiring your cousin. Yeah. And, <laughs> right. Like we got to develop out this team. It wasn't that we have this well thought out plan and idea and team in place and we need your money to execute. A lot of it was raising money to, for us to think about it if we can maybe do it. Yeah. So you gotta, I think that's kind of, again, the analogy back to the internet pre-internet days. I think that's where a lot of money got wasted too. And people that can talk a talk and sound like they know what they're talking about and you don't know what they're talking about. And so they can, they can say a lot of fancy words and you open up your wallet and say, man, that sounds great. But, yeah, you're almost you're investing in nothing. Yeah, it's, yeah. You're almost just, yeah, it's like an idea that's really not coming to fruition. It's a fugazi. It's like if your buddy yeah. said, "I'm I'm starting a a house painting company. I've been painting houses all this time, and I need some seed money. Hey, can I get a hundred grand from you to grow the business?" And you're like, "Yeah," and you work out the terms. And the next time you see that person, they're driving a a, a brand new Tesla. Who do you think bought that Tesla? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That hundred grand didn't didn't quite go yeah, to like, where you oh, would have hoped it was. Yeah, the, co- the company's going great. Yeah, and you're like, well, where's my return? <laughs> they just bought company cars for us all. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. You're, so I think yeah, you're totally right. Like, there's so many scam. There, there's a lot of scams out there. That's one thing I like about Coinbase is that they kind of vet out some of that garbage mm-hmm. that's out there. Uh, and they try to put more legitimate thing. When I was on Coinbase back in the day, actually I still am. I just checked in the other day when you, when you were chatting with me. But uh, there was only like three coins on Coinbase, and now there's many coins on Coinbase. So yeah, I think twenty, twenty five, something like that. They've expanded their offering quite a bit. But I, I remember when we were back in twenty seventeen, I was looking at one company called BitConnect. Do you ever remember them? Oh yeah, I remember BitConnect. That was a huge <laughs> scam. I mean, it basically yeah, it, was it, was, it was a Ponzi scheme. And they were yep. like, oh, yeah, you, all you have to do is give us money and we'll put it into our trading system. We'll trade it, trade it, trade it, trade it. And then we'll give you like a 50% return every month or like 10% return every single month. But you have to give it, let us hold it for at least a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, you know, you'll get your money doubled. And I was like, this just seems way too good to be true. I looked, I looked into it quite a bit because... YouTube was flooded with people talking about this because yeah. if, if you got people to come in, then you would get a piece of their stuff. It was like an MLM yeah. Ponzi scheme. It was a, it was a multi-leveling <laughs> yeah. Ponzi scheme. Yeah. And then the whole thing crashed down and then everybody just lost money and then everybody deleted their YouTube videos about how much they loved BitConnect yeah. because they lost all their money. Yeah. I mean, any I mean, anytime you have a, 
And now those same this people, kind of- and now those same people are like, "Oh, I'm a crypto expert." And you're like, but they deleted the ones all that they were scamming everybody before. I, I heard a industry industry professional say, "There's no such thing as a crypto expert right now. There's too much going on, too much changing. Nobody's an expert yet." Unless you're that really nerdy it, guy that invented Ethereum. What's his face? The the, uh, the Russian guy. <laughs> the the Tealik. That's yeah. his name. He's like the nerdiest looking guy I've ever seen, but I'm sure he's wealthier than probably most CEOs now. <laughs> oh yeah. He well, and what's interesting, uh, Vitalik, Ethereum. Yeah. A Russian Canadian programmer. He <laughs> he uh, looks like he's malnourished and. <laughs> Like he's been sitting, like he's been sitting in his basement on on his computer. Yes, yeah, eating soylent green or something. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's a remarkable. I mean, if the Ethereum network really launched the industry of crypto, right? Mm-hmm. We're seeing an emerging industry around it with smart applications and decentralized, uh, app, smart contracts, decentralized applications, decentralized finance is growing ridiculously fast and um you know i'm sure there's going to be some fraud in the DeFi space and if you're a criminal boy that's a so i I think it's fraught with risk and opportunity the wild west really yeah it really is matt talk to us about your your mining rig i want to hear about that uh I, i know at one point you well first of all those mining rigs kick off a ton of heat because they're basically just computers running Last, I think it was two years ago, you showed me this setup that you did where you hooked your mining rig up to your air conditioner, your heater unit so that you could heat <laughs> your house. Tell us about that. Um, so that's, those, were, those were Bitcoin rigs. So I mined Ethereum using um, computer graphics processing units, GPUs, and I bought some uh, Bitcoin miners from Bitmain, and they're just big... It looks like an aluminum brick with a fan on each end and, and a bunch of processors in the middle. And they, they will, they'll melt down. They're so hot if you don't give them enough cold air. Right. And, but the heat that they kick out, like electricity isn't wasted. It's just turned into heat. And so I rigged them up in my garage with some shelving. So they're sitting next to my ducting and I tapped them into the duct so that the intake came the air that came down went in the miners and then through the miners and then back out into my house. So he's an engineer ran, too. <laughs> yeah. And so I just ran my, my heating fan nonstop and obviously my heat kicked in when it needed to, but yeah, passive heating the house. I, obviously I only ran those in the winter cause you need the space to be probably 50 degrees. You just leave your garage and, doors open at night and then. <laughs> I, well, I, really it was actually just cold enough like uh-huh. it's cold enough here where we live in idaho to you know the concrete and everything's cold enough and it's not pumping the heat into the garage so the garage yeah. never warmed up yeah um and so yeah i can i ran them for you know five or six months out of the year so but they so were what's like the i mean what's the capacity i know you said on your on your other mining rig for ethereum you're doing like you know one a day 
with with the Bitcoin rig, obviously the 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 bigger system you have, then the more you can mine. Right. Um, right. But w- what's like a typical system? Maybe like even some basic costs, and then and then you know what's its performance or what what's the potential output? So I just built. So I hadn't been mining for a while because um, I was trying to do some troubleshooting and had a lot of other things going on. Uh, my my business has been. So I had, I had a couple of machines go down and I didn't really take time to troubleshoot them. Um, and once I did, I realized I just needed to replace some GPU cards. So I just recently got a couple of miners back up and running and the cost would be, I only had to buy cards, but if I had to buy everything, it'd probably be roughly three grand for a six GPU rig. And that's going to produce roughly about a, quarter of an ethereum a month right now so you know you're looking at maybe a year payback period yeah so like what 300 bucks a month or something like that well and and here's the hard thing about that is i guess it goes up and down so right right yeah and and so you have to almost look at it by the coin you're mining and so at the time the the it would have been about three ethereum to buy the rig so then you need the rig to produce three ethereum to pay you back and you're looking at the timeline to bring you that because if you start when you start dealing with dollars it's like like right now my ethereum rig's making 350 dollars a month but that's a quarter of you know rough i'm using rough numbers here a quarter of an ethereum but if ethereum goes to three to twenty thousand dollars i'm downloading fifty eight hundred bucks a month does it does it maintain it'll still maintain that quarter of uh an ethereum or it's is diminishing it, returns because the price goes up then you can mine less yeah. or the, the difficulty gets goes up yeah. over time and the more people jump in. goes down is it because yeah. more people jump in and just the way that this system is designed the 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 network difficulty constantly goes up um miners on the network the number of transactions i think the prices all kind of affect that in a really dynamic way i don't fully understand but i always expect diminishing returns on these this equipment so um i think i mean between mine building a miner and mining and purchasing it's hard to say which one's going to be better because the future is going to determine that for me, I haven't bought very much crypto and I think I've had more success because of that for better and worse with the yeah. mining equipment. I'm a little less emotionally attached Yeah, because I didn't write a check, so to speak. Yeah. Right. At bitcoins at 40 grand. Hey, I want to get into Bitcoin. Bitcoin's now at 30 grand. Ugh. Yeah, you're not trading like, it. Hurts. You're like investing. You're like, Build, you're making mining. it. You're making yeah, it, really. Mining yeah, it. yeah, exactly. And so usually if prices are really low, you're probably going to be better off to buy it. If prices are really high, you're probably better off to mine it. Just like gold, right? When gold hits all-time highs, what happens? Wildcatters get out there and go mine mm-hmm. because you can pay for your expenses. If you need to, you can pay for your expenses in real time because the price is so high. Yeah. If the price is super low, well, the expenses are about the same. Yeah. And you know, you have to sell maybe most, if not all, or more than all that you mined 
to try to cover those costs. Whereas if the price is 10 times higher, you might only have to sell 25% of what you mine. And to your cover mar- your margin costs. is significantly different. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that being said, once my miner pays itself off and I get my Ethereum back that I spent, it's all free. Except for the energy cost. Which Except for the energy yeah. cost. These, the, the new miners that I just built are really efficient oh, and they're not near as hot. Um, and so they're, but, yeah, the technology changes um, so quickly on those. Yeah. I mean, it's just like warp speed. I mean, you buy the, what you bought today probably is already out of date, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's just changing so fast, uh, that, you know, I'm sure the stuff that you have back from 2017 is almost archaic at this point. Yeah. And act, but actually I'm going to try to probably list, I haven't run those miners in a couple of years because the energy cost to get the amount of coin, you're better off just, it's a negative return. Yeah. Right. And there are calculators online that can help you figure that out. Um, But you'd literally be wasting money spending the energy, especially on those Bitcoin miners. They're energy hogs. And Um, and that's, and and I guess just to simplify that, that's like the energy that like, that's your power bill at home. Yeah. That's the the, power bill bill that you pay to the power company you're going to the increase in energy from running these computers is not going to be worth the money that you're mining in coin. Right. Go spend your 300 bucks or whatever it costs you to run it. Go spend it at coinbase.com and buy it directly. You'll be much better off. Um, and with mining, you know, there's some significant technological Te- hurdles. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like programming these things and keeping them running is not for, amateur computer hobbyists like yeah. I'm, I'm really lucky in that I, I mentioned him earlier my buddy james who got me into who introduced me to ethereum and built my first miner for me um he's been instrumental in me being able to keep these things running yeah right you, you need if, if you don't have a really high level of computer um proficiency you need somebody that does mm-hmm. and willing to help you for potentially hours at a time <laughs> if you want to build a miner it's best to know somebody who already mines already that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well you can yeah well i mean as the cost goes up obviously or, or, the, or the value of that specific coin or whatever you're mining then it just becomes more and more worth it um yeah. you know looking into the future yeah. Well, Matt, I I know we're basically at time, uh, but I want to ask you one last question. Maybe you can give us a quick answer here. What cryptocurrencies do you have uh, that you like right now? Um, I don't own any yet. I've got two on my radar, uh, Chainlink and Graph, and they're really on my radar because of what they do, mm-hmm. not because they're going to jump in value or anything like that, right? Um but as we talked earlier, I'm looking for things that bring utility and functionality to the space. Mm-hmm. So graph is a little bit more simple in that it's really a, a platform for search, kind of like Google is a search engine for, for the Internet. Graph is a, a search engine for um, blockchain. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so and so I'm watching that, that uh, and Coinbase was uh, early investor in graph mm-hmm. and it's on their uh page uh to purchase and the other one's chain link and i'm most excited about that because one of the shortfalls of the smart contract and the blockchain is that it doesn't interact well with 
real world information, banking deposits, you know, um, any sort of data feed from our real world. It's hard for contracts to see any of that data. So there's this intermediary called Oracle that helps connect the real world data to the smart contract and Chainlink is a, a big leap in Oracle technology. And so it, it's probably going to open up some doors into opportunities and potential inside smart contracts, right? People are going to be able to build things and design things now with Chainlink that they couldn't a year ago without Chainlink. So this Oracle is kind of a, it's a, it's a part of the network. Chainlink is an Oracle. It's kind of like search engines, I think Bing's a search engine, Yahoo's a search engine. Nobody has a, nobody has control over search engine. Anybody can build a search engine, right? Anybody can build an Oracle. They built supposedly a really good one. And so that might um, catapult smart contracts and decentralized finance and industries that aren't existent yet. Um, yeah, cool. Those, those are probably the two that I'm most interested in. I will say that um, one of the most, just off, some I was thinking about, like this, people are spending money on blockchain and on Ethereum, and um, there's roughly like a million monthly users on the Ethereum network on these different applications and things like that. Um, but there's crazy applications like. Crypto kitties, where people buy and sell digital kittens for six figures. People are I'm in the wrong buying, business. People are buying virtual real estate on like Second Life or you know similar, yeah, yeah, some sort of simulations. People are buying real estate, and it's like a simulated U.S. And somebody wants to live on simulated Park Avenue. They want their avatar to live on, you know, own some real estate on Sunset Boulevard or wow. whatever, you know, huh. and people are paying real money for digital assets, which people do anyway. Look at like yeah. uh, like the games like Fortnite and things like that. Yeah. They make most of their money off of skins that does nothing for you. Just it's yep. a look. Yep. And so we, we already see that in our lives, like that's happening on the Ethereum platform too. Yeah. So I know a guy with some beachfront property. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny, Matt, this has been awesome, man. You, you've shared some great stuff with us. I think anybody from a beginner to someone who's even more advanced would really appreciate everything you said. Matt, at kind of the end of every one of our episodes, we always ask all of our guests to share a little bit of their personal creed with us. You know, a creed is a, a set of beliefs that, guide someone's actions in the way that they live their life. And I know that you've got two great young sons and uh, I love seeing your, you post about them on your, on your Instagram and whatnot, but I'm so sure you're full of advice, but what, what, uh, what piece of your creed could you share with us today? Um, I'm a big fan of the kiss method. Keep it simple, stupid. And, um, you know, our, our mantra around our house and in, in, my job is is the golden rule. Treat others how you want to be treated. And if 
violating that gets you into trouble and obeying that rule it's it's hard to do wrong with that rule it's it's harder to do than it is to say but you know we you mentioned my little boys we have confrontation all the time around here you know and just constant 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 treat others as you want to be treated and then tying that in with you know integrity when no one's watching treat somebody how you want them to treat you yeah. you know and yeah I, li- I liked what you said about those uh those kind of that the wholesome values it, it'll help keep you out of trouble it, it, yeah. 100% will um you know especially in even even at, at work and things like that that it's just like having somebody you work with that you can trust completely that you know that they're going to do the right thing and have those values is just it's it's um immeasurable definitely so i like that yeah we've got a high moral and ethical standard at our office and you know the question always asks is you know if there's any should we do a or b well what's the right thing to do we'll do that yeah and then whatever the consequences are we'll deal with those but when you when you do something other than the right thing too often problems snowball yeah instead of instead of dissipating. Yeah. Yeah. I like that, Matt. I, you know, I trying to do the same with my boys. Uh, I've got four now. So, uh, I know. it's a wild, <laughs> wild house on here, but, uh, just trying to teach these boys to be good men is something that, uh, you know, we're both in the street. You just turned 40 the other day, the other a couple weeks ago, right? I, I did. I Dude. did about, uh, about two weeks ago. Congratulations. Over, you're on so, top of the hill now. <laughs> yeah, I am. You're I was king of the uh, hill. <laughs> My, my, my birthday was, my birthday is December 29th. And so in 2019, I had this story to my wife of, man, if 40's over the hill, 39 is like peak year. This is going to be my best year ever. And it was 2020. So it was a little bit of a letdown. Either that or a lot of times they say that the the, the last, uh, what, couple hundred feet of the peak is the hardest part. So yeah, the apex. Well, and... (laughs) To, to that point, I did. Uh, I hurt my neck two days before my 40th birthday, real bad. I couldn't. I couldn't turn to the right really, and so on my 40th birthday, I was laid up in bed with an ice pack on my neck, watching TV. I'll tell you what, it was. It was uh, an emotionally difficult day. Well, if it makes you feel any better, on my 30th birthday, we had just moved back to Charlotte from uh, Utah, and I was living in my parents' basement. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have a house. Living in my parents' basement. It wasn't because you had to. It was because you guys were buying a house. Yeah. But that's a little bit different. We, but we yeah. had just moved here. We were waiting to sell our older house in Utah. But I was still there. I'm living in my parents' basement at 30. But I did have a job. <laughs> your brain knew different, but your emotions were like, come on. Yeah. So, well, <laughs> Matt, excellent. thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate you. Uh, for those uh, that uh, you know are listening, uh, please follow us on uh, a.brothers.creed on Instagram. And uh, thanks for thanks for joining today. Yeah, let's uh, build that creed together. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Ethan. Thanks, Jared.